near the Big Island's Waipio Valley, when tribes ruled the islands, the shark god Kamaho'ali'i was captivated by a beautiful maiden. While he could easily take her, his attraction was love instead of desire. He shifted into mortal form and courted her, however, kept his godhood a secret. The maiden's father welcomed him, for while he loved his daughter, he wished for a son. The couple married and expected a child, but the shark god had troubling dreams. Hoping to avoid cursing his family, he prepared to flee. He told his beloved he was the shark god Kamoho Ali'i and warned her never to feed their child animal flesh or meat. The couple cried as he dove into the sea, became a shark, and left. Clouds formed as she went into labor. Winds howled through Waipio Valley while she screamed and birthed a son. Her father was delighted. However, between the infant's shoulder blades was a hole resembling a shark mouth. The child was the Hawaiian shark demigod, Nanaue, and this is Legends from the Pacific. Aloha, and thank you for joining us. This is Legends from the Pacific, episode 103, the Hawaiian shark demigod, Nana Ue. I am Kamuela Kanashiro, a native Hawaiian professional writer, speaker, and Comic-Con panelist with extensive film and television experience. I study mythology, I've encountered unusual things, and I'm a geek. You can support us by getting two or three of your friends to listen to our show. This simple request goes a long way in helping us grow our show. And a big mahalo nui loa to our Patreon members, whose support keeps our show going. Later in this episode, your featured song and Hawaiian word, but first, just when you thought it was safe to get back into the ocean, let me share with you Nana Uwe. This episode refers to our previous episode 101 about the shark god Kamoho Ali'i. Please consider listening to it, so you may have a deeper appreciation of this story. The mother wrapped him in kapa cloth, covering the hole and named him Nana Uwe. He was a beautiful baby, and her father couldn't be separated from him. Nana Uwe's mother always made kapa garments to cover his back, bathed him alone in the nearby pond, limited showing him to their neighbors, and never fed him meat. Men eating with women was also kapu, so when Nana Uwe was old enough, his grandfather took him to eat with men. Everyone agreed the hidden child was handsome and would be a great warrior. Then his grandfather fed him meat. While his mother bathed him, when the water touched his foot, Nana Uwe became a shark. She was captivated as her son glided through the water but horrified as he devoured some fish. His family agreed to keep this a secret. Nanaue's appetite increased, and he gained muscle instead of fat. His mother feared playing with children would reveal his shark mouth back, 
so she kept him home. Soon, nothing satisfied his hunger, and humans became appetizing. People who fished or swam alone disappeared. Villagers who went into the ocean in groups claimed a shark attacked them. They also talked about the handsome teenager, Nanaue, who always wore his kappa cloth, even on hot days, while working his family's fields. He'd always greet everyone and ask where they were going. If they were going near the beach, he'd tell them to mind they don't get eaten up. Some villagers suspected the handsome Nanaue, others agreed, and when they marched to confront him, an Ali'i's messenger announced all working-aged males needed to develop the royal taro patch. Everyone obeyed except Nanaue. The villagers reported him, and the royal guards took the handsome stranger to the Ali'i. The chief's eyes narrowed. Why did you disobey my order? Nanaue smirked. I didn't think it applied to me. The Ali'i chuckled. It applied to everyone in your village. Join the others. The sun blared upon the still valley. Sweat stung the men's eyes, and Nanaue's kappa cloth stuck to his body. Everyone teased him. His coverings were torn, and they gasped at his shark mouth back. He raged and bit several men while his shark jaws snapped. The guards subdued and bound him. The villagers explained he could be the reason behind the missing people. A messenger sprinted to inform the Ali'i as Nanaue prayed to his father for help. Soon, the messenger finished reporting to the Ali'i. The royal guards and warriors gathered in the chamber while the Ali'i consulted his kahuna. He divined Nanaue was Kamaho Ali'i's son, therefore a demigod. But the Ali'i ordered his death and dispatched his warriors. As they approached, the shark god pitied his son and granted him superhuman strength. Nanaue tore his bindings, broke from his captors, leapt into a pond, and became a shark. His mother and grandfather were brought before the Ali'i, who ordered them torture to draw out the demigod. Thunder shook the heavens, quaked the earth, and the shark god Kamoho Ali'i appeared. Everyone bowed. The shark god's eyes glowed. This is your domain, Ali'i. Rise and speak freely. The Ali'i demanded order restored and justice for the innocent killed. The shark god nodded, pointed out his son and beloved wife were not to blame because his father-in-law was the one who neglected his warning about feeding meat to Nanaue. The shark god promised his son would never see the Big Island's coast again. If he does, Kamoho Ali'i and his army will kill him. The Ali'i agreed. The shark god's wife begged for her father not to be killed. The Ali'i agreed, only if the parents promised to never speak to Nanaue again. The heartbroken mortal parents consented. The shark god told his son what happened, and this was the only time he could save him. While Nanaue did bad, his father believed he could prove he was more man than shark. Nanaue swam to the neighboring island of Maui, impressed an Ali'i family who took him in, and he married their chiefess, who was around his age. Fearing she may notice his shark mouth back, he agreed only if they slept separately. 
they agreed. Nanaue enjoyed life, struggled against his desire for human flesh, and soon people disappeared. One night, Nanaue took a woman to the beach. As she screamed, he threw her into the surf. The cool water ran up his feet, changing him into a shark. Fishermen distracted him and sounded the alarm. Nanaue fled to the nearby island of Moloka'i. At this time, only Ali'i could surf, so he avoided them, but grew stronger by eating fishermen and swimmers. A shark in the water made swimming and fishing kapu, but the villagers needed food. Moloka'i was known for producing the most powerful kahunas, and the people sought the strongest who recently avenged his two sons. While a shark was involved, the kahuna felt it couldn't be Moloka'i's shark god or his mo'o guardians. Daring not contact them a second time, the kahuna used his mystic arts. The shark god Kamoho'ali'i admitted his son caused the deaths, promised no retribution if his son were to be killed, but he bound himself and his army to not harm Nanaue. The kahuna needed to raise an army, convince Moloka'i's young demigod Unauna to join them, and maybe they'd have a chance. The kahuna dispatched messengers and gathered an army. However, Moloka'i's young demigod Unauna was unconfident with his new abilities and declined. The kahuna descended upon Nanaue's beach. The warriors wrestled him down and tore his covering, revealing his shark mouth back. Nanaue flung them off and fled for the sea. Warriors tripped him up and secured him with nets, but Nanaue drew upon his strength and rolled into the ocean. Coastline warriors raised their nets, blocking his path, while others attacked. Nanaue bit the nets and made a hole as his blood reddened the water. As the hole grew, the kahuna realized Nanaue was injured, but far from weakened. The massive shark squirmed through the hole. The kahuna yelled for everyone to hold him back. A giant splash created a wave that knocked everyone back to the beach. Una Una, Moloka'i's demigod, stood in the ocean, and the demigods fought. While Una Una's surprise attack severely weakened Nanaue, the shark was more experienced and weakened the youth. The kahuna rallied the warriors. They lassoed the shark's tail and pulled him towards the beach. Nanaue snapped at the youth fleeing for the beach. Then the shark poured his strength into swimming, dragging the warriors into the raging surf. The young demigod tugged the warrior's rope. Warriors surfaced from the breakers and held their ground but the shark's thrashing tail was cutting their rope. The demigod drew his rope and tried to lasso the shark. Waves slackened the lasso, and it collapsed around the tail's tip. The kahuna waited for a wave, then yelled. The lasso dropped around the tail. The demigod looped a nearby hill with slack. The warrior's rope snapped. The shark shot into the depths. The taut rope shot water from its braids. Everyone pulled the demigod's rope and hauled Nanaue onto the beach. But Nanaue held water, maintaining his shark form. The kahuna told everyone to haul the shark onto the hill where the sun would dry him out. On the hill, the warriors tried killing the shark, but the beach assault dulled or damaged their weapons. The kahuna instructed everyone to use the wood from a nearby forest 
Then Nanaue was diced and burned. Hawaii was safe from the being who became a monster. Moloka'i's Kainalu area is where Nanaue's final battle took place. Kainalu Hill's deep groves near the top is from Unauna's looped rope. Nanaue's shark form being dragged uphill created a nearby ravine. Some refer to the area as Pu'umano, or Shark Hill, and wood from the nearby area which was used to kill the shark cannot hold much of a sharp edge because it is believed the shark god Kamoho Ali'i cursed the wood, since its material killed his son. Today, Nanaue has been seen in various films, illustrations, and DC comics. He was also in the 2021 film The Suicide Squad. It should be noted, DC Comics considered him a shark god, which is sort of true, but he's more of a demigod, and his landform is more human-like instead of an anthropomorphic shark. Okay, this episode was originally a Patreon-exclusive episode, but it ballooned, and it had some great moments I wanted to share with you that I felt you'd enjoy. So, while this version covers the basics, a slightly extended director's cut was made as a Patreon-exclusive version. The other version includes character interactions and a reminder of Hawaii's social structure when a character steps out of line, which I feel was a good addition since it's easy to forget cultural protocols while listening to stories. Sure, we can burst into Buckingham Palace and have dinner with the royals. What could go wrong? This story's extended version, more monthly stories, and other nifty benefits are now available to our Legends from the Pacific Patreon supporters. So click on the link in our show notes and become a Legends from the Pacific Patreon supporter today. Our theme song is Mystery by Tavana, courtesy of High Sessions. Sound effects are by Sound Effects Factory. Our music coordinator is Matt Duffy, a.k.a. DJ Triple Bypass. Links and channels can be found on our website, legendsfromthepacific.com, including a link to your featured song, which is Pikake by Michael Keale, courtesy of High Sessions. Legends from the Pacific was written, produced, and edited by me, Kamoala Kaneshiro. I also wrote our original stories. Your featured Hawaiian word is two words, kamakane. Kamakane means sun. An example of kamakane is Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's kamakane. Once again, kamakane is Hawaiian for sun. Hope you enjoyed Stranger Things and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Thank you once again for listening. Mahalo and a hui ho. I love you and promise to be true.